Well, once again, good morning, everybody. Come on, yeah. Anybody glad to be in church today? Come on. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, before we jump into the word together, as always, I love to look right into the cameras at the back of this room and say a great big hello to our extended family in the greater Washington, D.C. area. Go church. Come on. We welcome you. We love all of you. Oh, come on, in-house, make a little bit more noise. I love it. Uh, most of you know we are one church in two locations, and so what an honor it is for all of you to be with us right here in the South Metro Atlanta area, and then, of course, the North Metro D.C. area. God's got a great word for today. Also, want to welcome all of you that are watching online. Maybe you are homesick uh, today. We're praying for you. Kimberly and I, we know what it's like to have some sickness in the house. Our little girl, London, has been sick all week, and so we're praying for you. If you can't be here because of physical sickness... Maybe those of you watching, you're traveling back from spring break. If you went to the beach, we are all a little bitter, but that's okay. Uh, we pray travel mercy over you. And then we always love to honor our service military men and women. Come on, we honor you. We thank you for fighting for our freedom. Come on, do a little bit better. Yeah. So whoever you are, wherever you are, thanks for tuning in. Uh, God's got a great work to do today. Uh, one more thing before we jump into the message. Actually, two more things. Uh, today at 4 o'clock from 4 to 6 p.m. is a drop-in welcome reception. Kimberly and I, we're going to be there today. If you got time, just swing by, say hello. For those of you that are new to the ministry of South Metro, this is our second Sunday as lead pastors. And so it's so kind of all of you to throw a welcome reception. We'd love just to shake your hand, give you a hug, get some free food, and then take off. That's fine with us. But if you got time, come by and say hey to us. We'd be honored to meet you and to greet you that way. And then you remember last Sunday was Easter. Wasn't it such a powerful day? Come on. My goodness. It's taken me all week for my voice to kind of recover, and then I kind of preached it out in the first service, but that's okay. Uh, I gave you, if you were here last Sunday, I gave you a quick survey, an annual survey, and I asked you three questions on that survey. I want to give you a quick update, and then we will jump into the message. The first question I asked you was, uh, what would you like to hear a sermon on? And so we, we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cards with multiple options. So we're still calculating that exactly, but I can promise you this, very soon we'll give you the full list of the top five or six messages that you all want to hear, and then we'll put that on the preaching calendar coming up so that you can be engaged in those relevant topics. Uh, the other question that I asked you was, how would you like to receive information from the church? Hands down, overwhelmingly, the response was by email, but I was surprised by a close second by text messaging. So if you've not given the church your updated information or you'd like to do that, uh, please stop by the Welcome Center for that next step, and we'll be more than happy to update your info. Again, we're never going to overload you with junk mail or junk text messages, but there are great things happening here that we want to inform you about. And then the most important of all of these was the spiritual results from the weekend. Now, before I give you the spiritual results, I do want to tell you this because I think it's, it's so incredible. Uh, over five services and two campuses, we had a record attendance on Easter weekend. 2,725 people, come on, heard the gospel of Jesus. Oh, come on, church. Wow. I love it. And, uh, and, now, and now the really, really good part, I gave you that spiritual survey at the end of the message, and we talked about A, B, C, D, A was I'm already in a relationship with Jesus. Uh, that was an overwhelming majority of you. Uh, but, but the letter B was this. It said, I'm, I'm beginning a real relationship with Jesus Christ today on Easter weekend, and I just want you to see this for a moment. 186 people. Okay, hold on. So uh, this is the week of the Masters. Many of you knew that, the golf tournament, the epic golf tournament. Um, this, this room is not the Masters. There are no golf claps today, all right? We're not talking about the Masters. We're talking about the Master. Help me out. 186 people said yes to Jesus. Yeah, come on. I love it. So good. Some, some of us are still waking up. This is a big deal. And the Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing. They're throwing a party, and I'm here to tell you there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party. Because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. I'll keep 
I'll just keep moving. I'm going to keep moving. The letter C was a little bit deeper. It said, uh, I'm not ready to begin that relationship with Jesus. I need to consider it a bit more. And here was the results of that. 19 individuals said, hey, I liked the message. I liked the environment. I love the community, but I need to consider this a bit more before taking that next step in my journey. How many of you by a show of hands will partner in prayer with me for these 19 individuals? Yeah, that they would take that next step in the process. And then the letter D, the letter D was the deepest of all of them, and it said, I doubt that I will ever accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And again, between five services and two campuses 700 miles apart, three people said, I will never say yes to Jesus. And I just want to say a couple of things. Number one is this, never say never. Come on, never say never. I, I, at one time in my life, I said never, and look what the Lord has done, you know? And, and I, I can attest to you that many people in this room, they thought that they would never be in the process of the spiritual journey they're on. And maybe they were a C or a D at one time. If you're, if you're a C or a D, let me just encourage you to stay in this journey with us. And I believe that God has great things in store for you. Yeah, come on, one more time. Can you celebrate with us all that God did on Easter weekend? So as promised, uh, today we're kicking off a brand new series and we're, we're calling it Family Matters. Family Matters. Uh, I don't know how many of you remember that TV show, the sitcom Family Matters. Anybody remember that? Yeah, back in the day, uh, there was one character that was my all-time favorite, and that was Steve Urkel. How many of you remember Urkel? How many of you have a Steve Urkel-type personality in your family? He's sitting next to them, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> And it took me forever, and I'm, I'm kind of ashamed to even admit this, but it took me a while to figure out the double meaning of the title of this show, Family Matters. Have you ever thought about it? Fa family matters, meaning the things that happen within your family, the troubles, the conflict, the problems. The stress, come on, right? The family matters. The issues that attach themselves to your family, the, 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 the spiritual warfare that the enemy tries to throw at your household. Because let me just tell you, the enemy doesn't want your family to work. Okay, so it's the family matters. But then the double meaning is, watch this, family matters. Two of you are smart today, right? Family Family matters, meaning your family is important. Your family, your family is a priority. Your family is significant. And for most of us in this room, and for many of you watching online, you would admit that there is nothing more important on this earth than your family. That on this earth, your priority is making sure that your family is taken care of and that your family is unified. And here's what I've learned, that because your family matters to you, and because the Bible shows us that your family matters to God, you better believe that the family will be the single greatest target of the enemy. Come on, help me out for a minute. The Bible, the Bible teaches us in 1 Peter 5, chapter 8, that the enemy is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may, anybody know it? Devour. Devour, and the enemy is going to attack your family because he doesn't want your family to work. And the enemy's got one objective. He's got, he's got one goal when it comes to your family, and that's to make sure that there's always something the matter. Come on, I wish you'd help me out. To make sure that there's always challenges, that there's always always issues, and you can testify to this. Come on. If the enemy really wants to stir up a mess, if, if the enemy really wants to stir up a fuss, doesn't he usually attack the family? Doesn't he come after the family? He comes after our marriages. He comes after our children. He comes after the unity of the home. Why? Because he knows that family matters to you and that family matters to God. And from the beginning of humanity, the enemy has tried to destroy the household. And maybe, maybe you're here today, or perhaps you're watching again online, and, and you, you don't believe in God. So, so this, this talk about God caring for the family, and this talk about Satan attacking the family, it doesn't necessarily line up with your ideology, and, and I, I, I can get that. 
But I, I could almost bet that even though you may not believe in God, for you, most of the pain that you feel today, most of the pain that, that you go to bed with at night either came directly towards your family or it came directly from your family. Now, I need to say this too. Uh, a series like this on the conversation of family is important. It's necessary. It's needed because, again, the enemy is trying to destroy the home. But it's not necessarily easy. It sounds a lot easier to, to, to speak on or preach on than what it really is. And, and here's why. Because every single one of us, we have such diverse family experiences. Every single one of us, for all of us, our family is just so unique. For example, in this room, there, there are people that come from a more traditional family background. For some of you, you come from a blended family. That, that's me, by the way. My mom was married once before, and she had three kids. And my dad was married once before, and he had three kids. And then one day, they got together, and they had the perfect kid. Just thought I'd throw that out there. I mean, the Bible does say that the number seven represents perfection or complete. Come on, I'm making this spiritual now. So we come, from a, come from a blended family. We, we were the Brady Bunch, y'all. I'm telling you. And check this out. My mom and dad were 17 years apart. And so, so that tells us two things. Number one, love doesn't know age. And number two, my dad was a little bit of a creeper. I'm just being honest. <laughs> I come from a, a blended family. When, when I was born, I came into this earth an uncle. Tell me that ain't dysfunctional. <laughs> All of our family experiences are so diverse. I mean, some of you, you're in your second marriage. Some of you might be in your third marriage. Some of you might be between marriages. Some of you have experienced the devastating pain of a death of a spouse, and so you're a widow, and the family dynamic there is painful at times. Some of you in this room, you have biological kids. Uh, some of you, you've adopted kids. Uh, some of you have stepkids. A few of you even have kids for sale. Come on now. <laughs> I'll just take $5, and they're yours, both of them. Have them both. For some of you in the room, on a more serious note, you, you're not able to have children. And so every day you feel the pain of that emotional struggle that your family is walking through. Here, here's what I'm saying. There's so much diversity. Every, everybody's so different. No two families are identical. And, and here's the truth. Whenever you hear these words like, like family or father or mother or brother or sister, or son, or daughter, those are not emotionally neutral words. Whenever, whenever you hear me talk about my dad, your experience with your dad is different. Whenever you hear me talk about my mother, your, your definition of mom is different. And if we had time to walk around this room and say, hey, describe for me, tell me about your dad. Tell me about your brother. Tell me about your sister. Man, the, the definitions and the variety of responses would be on opposite ends of the spectrum. And here's why. Because connected to those terms are emotion. Connected to those words is background. And there's history. And there's baggage, and for some of you, there's even hurt. When we talk about family, for some of you, immediately there is a flood of wonderful memories. And there's joy, and there's celebration. But whenever we talk about family, for some of you, there's so much pain. And there's bitterness, and, and there's frustration. Why? Because all of our families are so different. And that's why a series like this can be a little bit challenging. But, but in, spite of, in spite of our differences, we do have a couple commonalities. And I, I want you to see that for a second. Uh, two commonalities that I want to show you. The first one is this. We did not choose our family. You probably heard this at some point in your lifetime. It's the old saying, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. And that's true, isn't it? You and I did not get to pick and choose the family that God put us in, attached us to. 
And you need to know something, that even in the midst of whatever the family matter is that you're walking through and going through, God put you in your family on purpose and for purpose. Come on. There's a reason that you're in that family. But you didn't get to choose it. You didn't get to pick it. I remember when I was younger, especially in my, you know, like adolescent years, I would have given just about anything to be in a different family. Anybody with me on that? Come on, go back a few years. Right, I remember one time I got to stay the night at a friend's house, and just the way that that family was opened my eyes up to a whole new reality. Come on, one time for dinner, they, they served breakfast, biscuits and gravy, y'all. Come on, somebody. For dinner. That's not how I grew up. They let us sleep in our play clothes. I don't even think I brushed my teeth that night. It was glorious. And on the outside, come on, we all do it. On the outside, it seems like every other family has it all together. They don't have any rules. Uh, the dad doesn't make the kids do any chores. The mom never yells. Come on, all of you that grew up in a Hispanic household, you got visions of La Chancla coming right at you now. Come on. You don't know what that is? Just Google it. Come on, somebody. The greatest disciplinary action known to mankind. Mom never yelled, the dad never made them do chores, and, and we think that on the outside, come on, be honest, man, if I could be in a different family, things would be better. And there, there are some teenagers in this room right now that you've thought that yourself. I don't, I don't like my family. Let me, let me just tell you this. God put you in that family for a reason, for a purpose. And we did not choose the family that we're supposed to be a part of and connected to, but God does not make mistakes. So, come on, somebody give me a good amen right there. So while there's a vast variety of differences, we do have some commonalities. The first one is we didn't choose the origin of our family. The second one is this. No one in your family is as smart as you are. Come on, help me preach for a minute. Come on, everybody in the room, let's go. We've, we've all thought this at some point or another. Come on, be honest with me. I'm telling you, at some point you have daydreamed about the moment at the next family reunion where they give you the microphone. And you say, give me five minutes and I can fix this mess. Come on, church. Help me out, right? And, and in your mind, you daydream and you're like, all right, aunt so-and-so, you need to quit gossiping. Just stop. Like, don't even, don't even talk. Uncle so-and-so, stop drinking and go take a bath, right? Come on now. You know what I mean? Like, how many of you got that crazy cousin? You got a crazy cousin? They're, they're, like, one, they're like one episode away from being on the Jerry Springer show, right? And you just, you just want to tell that cousin, like, you need long-term counseling with prescribed medication. Come on. And you think nobody... And my family is as smart as me. If they, I've said this. I, I told my sister this. If everybody would just listen to me, we could work this thing out. They all need Jesus. All of them. Every one of them. And let me tell you, social media doesn't help either. In the world, man, and some of you who are photographers and you take photo, family photo shoots, so you just capture the most beautiful moments, and then, and then these beautiful families just post their pictures all online for you and I to look at. Come on, don't they? You know what I'm talking about. Hey, here we go. <laughs> here it is. Smile. Can, can you, what is a guy saying? He says to his little girl, hop up on my shoulder and point towards the sky. Daddy, what am I pointing out? It doesn't matter. It's for the camera. And we see this all the time on social media, don't we? Oh, they're so perfect. They, they've got it all together. Let me tell you, everybody's got a little dysfunction in their family. Everybody. And while this may be on camera, this is the reality of off camera. Conflict, tension, disagreement, so on and so forth. Everybody good? Uh, even in the Bible, we see some dysfunction when it comes to the context of family. And I'll, I'll be very respectful of the word of God and careful, but let's call it what it is. Even the first family was jacked up. I mean, God created Adam and then from his rib made a woman. And it didn't take long for that relationship to get really weird. And the Bible says... That Adam, man, chose Eve, woman, over God. And ever since then, man has been choosing woman over God. Come on. The first family, the first recorded murder. 
The first recorded homicide happened in the first family. Somebody asked me one time, do you know how long Cain hated his brother? And I said, as long as he was able. Come on now, help me out. That's funny. I don't care who you are. That is funny. Tell all your friends. Think about it in the Bible. Abraham, have you ever seen it this way? Abraham slept with his maidservant after his wife told him to do it. Boy, to be a fly on the wall on that conversation. Abraham, got an idea. Yes, my love. Look, this may sound crazy, but I just want you to sleep with her. Okay. (laughs) All right. What, What about Jacob? Jacob conned his father after his mother told him to. And then you keep reading, you get to Joseph. My word. Joseph's brothers were out to kill him. They, they faked a murder. They threw him in a pit, got convicted, so they sold him as a slave. And then to cover up their dysfunction, they sprinkled animals' blood on a coat of many colors so that Jacob's father thought that he was dead. And then, and then don't let David, who was known as a man after God's own heart, fool you. The first civil war was between David and his son Absalom. They went to battle against each other, and thousands of innocent people were killed because of a father-son conflict. Because a dad and a son couldn't get along together. And then, hey, and then you get to Jesus. And Jesus' family isn't much different, are they? Uh, well, let, me, let me say it to you like this. You, you've got, you got Jesus, who's the son of God. He's born to Mary, who was a virgin. So that means by default, Joseph, who was a carpenter, is Jesus' stepdad. I'm I'm trying to help somebody. I'm doing everything I can to help you out. And every stepdad in the room knows about that relational dynamic between stepdad and stepson. And I'm, I'm confident that Joseph tried to make this thing work. He comes in one day and he's like, hey, Jesus, you know that I'm a carpenter and so... So I built for you, I built for you a birdhouse. Isn't it awesome? And Jesus would respond, that's great, but you know my real dad (laughs) created the heavens and the earth. So your birdhouse is cute, but my real dad is better. Come on now. (laughs) Anybody having fun yet? Because it's about to change. (laughs) About to get into it now. Why do I tell you about all those families? Here's why. Because despite their dysfunction, all of them made a significant impact to the kingdom of God. All of them. They they never let the dysfunction of their family, they never let the matters in their family keep them from being used by God and for God to do great things for the kingdom of God. And let me say this to you. What matters more than where your family came from and what matters more than where your family is today is where your family is going. Anybody passionate about moving your family from where you are to where God is calling your family to be? Come on, no golf claps today. Let's go. Yeah. And I I want you to see something because this is what I've learned in my lifetime through experience and through observation. If you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do that, I want you to write this thought down, and I think it'll bring so much truth to all of our hearts. When family is done right, somebody say right, Right. nothing can bring your life more joy. But when family is done wrong, somebody say wrong, Wrong. nothing can bring your life greater pain. And again, Walking you through this spiritual journey, let me say this with respect here. But many of you have been doing family the wrong way. Many of you have structured your family. You have structured your household around what culture says. You've organized your family hierarchy according to what society says or what television says. Or here's one. We do family the way that we want to do it. But, but if we want our family to go from where it is to where God 
is calling it to be, we have to do family the way that God says. Because every time we try to operate our family around the way that we think it should operate, it produces nothing but pain. Produces pain and heartache and grief and disappointment. But the moment that we come into alignment with the word of God and the instructions of scripture, when we do family the right way, it produces a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And my Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And this is what I want from my household. This is what I want from my family, joy, joy. Now, this is why I love to, to teach in series. Because in a series setting versus a, a single sermon, we get to go on a journey together. Uh, we, we get to lay out some thoughts together. And so, so if today, at the end of today, you've got more questions and you've got answers, or if today you felt a little like, well, well that's it. No, that's not it. We're in a series. So we're going to go somewhere over these next few weeks. But today is foundational. Today is important because it builds the whole understanding of how the family should operate, how the family should look. And all of this is from Scripture. So you get Jesus who when Jesus came on the scene, he raised the standard to everything, didn't he? So in the Old Testament, uh, it talked about not committing adultery. When Jesus came on the scene, he said, even if you look at a woman with a lustful eye, you've committed adultery. In the Old Testament, it said, do not murder. When Jesus came on the scene, he said, if you have hate in your heart, you've already murdered. You following me? So Jesus raised the standard, and he did it especially under the context of family. Because family matters to God. And so Jesus lays out some teaching, and he's going from city to city, and he's always talking about the family. And you remember even at one point, he gets down on one knee to have a conversation with a little child. And you and I, we read that, and we think, oh, that's so cute. Jesus loves kids' ministry. No, it was more than that. Because in the culture and the area, era rather that Jesus lived, women and children had as, as much value as, as a cow or a farm animal. And yet Jesus bends down and he has a conversation with a little kid. And then he says to all of the adults, he says, and the kingdom of God will be such as a little child. He raises the standard on the family. And then Paul comes along. And Paul is writing letters to Ephesus and Corinth, etc., and so on. And, and he's reiterating the words of Jesus and he's teaching them about the structure of the family. Why? Because Paul knows, according to Jesus, that if you can do family the right way, you get joy. Amen. But if you continue to do family the wrong way, you get, you get great pain. And so Paul, Paul says, hey, there's some things that we need to address. There are some conversations that we need to have. Now, here's what's going to happen. I'm going I'm to read you a few verses. And for some of you, you're going to think, well, that's just really old-fashioned. But it's so much more than that. Because, again, in the era in which Paul was writing and teaching, this type of structure, this type of system had never been seen before. It had never been heard before. And 100% of what Paul was saying was offensive and invasive. Again, because this culture had zero value on women and children. They had never heard this. They had never seen this. And, and that they had never even recognized that a society could function in the way that Paul was explaining. Watch. I'm, I'm, just, I'm trying to build this up for you. And then I'm going to show you the verses. Why? Because men thought women were worthless. They were worth nothing. They, they were sold. They were traded. That they were nothing to a man. And, and children? Come on. In this culture, men wouldn't even name their child until a couple years into their age to make sure that they wouldn't die because the infant mortality rate was so high. Come on. You and I, we pick out the names of our kids months before the baby ever comes. We, we plan on that. It's a celebration. They weren't excited that they were having a kid. The kid would slow down their trait would slow down income, so they wouldn't name it. As a matter of fact, they, they wouldn't even leave their inheritance to their biological children. They, they would adopt a different kid who had more potential and greater potential for responsibility, and then when the dad died, they would gift all of the inheritance to the adopted kid. Some of you are thinking, well, that's a good idea. <laughs> no, it's not. But they placed little 
value on women and children. Again, they had never seen a society operate like this. They had never seen standards like this. They had never seen a system where women and children had the same value as a man. And so what you're about to see, what you're about to read, is not just old-fashioned preaching. It's mind-boggling. What, what you're about to see is it was disruptive, and it was inconceivable, and it frustrated every man. But you know what it did for the women and children? It gave them hope. It gave them hope that God does not make mistakes. And God was the first one to say that we are all created equal. Come on, give me a good amen right there. So, so when we read through this, there's no need for anybody to be offended. Because the Bible is not degrading anyone. The Bible is raising the standard and the value of everyone. And so we, sh we shouldn't be offended by what we're going to read. We should celebrate the fact that Christianity recognizes that everybody's equal. And you know this as well as I do, and then I'll, I'll stop rambling and we'll get to the Bible. But sadly enough, there are still world religions. There are still faith groups. There are still countries that think women and children have no place, no right, and no voice. But I'm glad that we serve a God. Come on, help me out. That puts purpose inside of everybody. Here we go. Let's go to the first one, Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is writing to the kids. So when all, all the children in the room, I want you to listen to me for just a minute. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Let me stop right there. I'm going to, if it's okay with all of your parents, I'm going to speak on behalf of all of us. Children, your parents are not perfect and they have never claimed to be. Every decision that your mom or dad has made for you has not been out of rejection, it's been out of protection. Come on. And I get it. As a matter of fact, we all get it, because as hard as it is to imagine, we were all your age once before. And I, I understand, I, I get it, you don't like the rules. And you're probably counting down the days until you're 18 to get out of your house. Well, some sad news, but your parents might be counting down those days too. <laughs> but you have to understand this, is that even if you don't like the rules, the structure of the family, according to this Bible, is that you obey your parents because it is right. The verse goes on and Paul says, now, now I want you to honor your father and your mother. That there is no, this is good by the way, this is so good. There is no age limitation to honoring your father or mother. Whether you're 15 or you're 50, the responsibility to honor your parents lives on until you breathe your last breath or they breathe their last breath. You always honor your parents, which is the first commandment with a promise attached to it. Anybody know the promise? Honor your father or mother and you will live a long life. My mom said it like this, you will obey me and you will honor me because I brought you in this world and I can take you out. Anybody got a mama like that? Yeah. So he, he, says, he says to the children, there is no age limit here. And he's saying, I'm, this is going to be hard for some of you kids. And I'm, I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm trying to help you out. Because I want your family to produce great joy for you in your, in your adolescent years. Because it's hard to be a teenager. But listen to me. You need to hear this. You are not smarter than your parents. You're not. They've got more life experiences. They face more challenges. There is great wisdom, even from your mom and even from your dad. Come on, if anybody agrees with me, give me a good amen right there. So honor your parents and the Lord. This is right. Honor your father and mother. Obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Here's the next one. Now Paul says, wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Well, let me tell you what just happened. Because of the emancipation of women, blood pressure in this room has just went through the roof. Every woman is like, oh, no, you didn't. Let me make a couple of observations here, okay? And if this offends you, I would tell you to shoot me an email, but I've only been here two weeks and I ain't got no email yet, so <laughs> good luck trying to reach me. Watch this one. The first observation is this. The word submit is not a dirty word. The word submit is not a cuss word. 
The, the, the word submit does not make you less than. Paul wrote this letter in Colossians, but he also wrote it in Ephesians. And in Ephesians, he said, submit yourselves one to another in reverent fear of the Lord. What Paul was introducing here was a mutual submission. Now remember, this is blowing people's minds because women never had a voice. Let me, let me say this to you, to the fellas, and you need to see this. Paul is not talking to you. So, so stop trying to use this verse to strong arm your woman. Hey, and let me get on a little soapbox for a moment. Stop trying to bring this Bible into a counseling session to tell me to tell her that she ought to submit. I ain't going there, bro. No. In the words of a great prophetess, ain't nobody got time for that. I ain't doing that. Some of y'all will get that in a minute. Submit. It's a mutual submission here. So ladies, I want you to hear my heart. And, and this is where you may call me old-fashioned. I believe, though, when I read the Bible and when I, when I see the headship of the household, I believe that the husband should be the spiritual leader of his house. I do. Watch. And let me, let, me, let me rephrase it this way. Not to be the man of your house, but to be the godly man of your house. And there is a big difference. So much so that you husbands would lay down your lives for them just as Christ laid down his life for the church. And this is just me. And I might be wrong because I've been wrong in the past. But I believe if we had more godly men leading their homes we would have more godly women willing to submit to the leadership of the headship of the household. Come on. Wow. All right, she's talking to wives. We got, we got to hustle. Watch this. Then he says to the husbands, husbands, love your wives and don't be so harsh on them. Don't be so hard to them. Why? Because men talk to women the way that they would talk to their horse or their dog, or some farm animal. And Paul, reiterating the words of Jesus, says, no, no, no. We, we are done with that nonsense. You are going to love your wife, and you will speak to them with the utmost respect. He says, hey, you're going to stop trying to trade her in for a better deal? Yep, you, you're going you're gonna to stop looking her as nothing more than sex to you. You are going to love her and stop being so hard with your words towards her. Love your wife. Stop being so harsh. In other words, a Christian man, it's important how you speak to your wife. Can I give you a pet peeve? I got two of them. Maybe more, but time for two. One pet peeve is when people wear sunglasses indoors. Can't figure that one out. The other one is when men belittle their wives in public. You know, there was a great preacher one time that told me that whenever I get frustrated at something, that the spirit of slap would come up on me. Help me out. I get so frustrated when men belittle their wives. Because if they, if they would talk to them that way in public, how is it when the doors are closed? Watch this. Let's keep going. Uh, chapter 3, verse 21. He says, fathers... Do not exasperate your children. Do you know what that word exasperate means? What? Annoy. Irritate. Paul, Paul says, don't, don't get under their skin all the time. He says, stop annoying your kids all the time. And I'm just going to be really transparent. This is probably one of the greatest New Testament teachings that, that I often offend. Now, before you send me that email that has no actual email address, you need to know this. 85% uh, of me annoying my kids is unintentional. I'm just human. 15% is probably on purpose. Some of y'all are like, what kind of church is this? It's real. It's real. I ain't got, I ain't got time to be fake. I'm human. And sometimes stress comes in. And some, sometimes even my precious little angels can annoy me. Y'all didn't say amen right there. Y'all almost got some good kids. <laughs> now, I've seen your kids at the Chick-fil-A playground. They need Jesus. Yes, they do. I'm telling you, right now they need the Lord. 
Paul says, stop annoying your children. Stop antagonizing your children. Why? Because they will become discouraged. You know, I did student ministry for a long time, over a decade. You know how many kids I saw that would come to an altar discouraged because of the words of their father? See, when a mom says something, those words weigh about 25 pounds to the heart of a kid. When a dad says something, those words weigh about 500 pounds to the heart of a child. So let me give you, I got to do this really quick, okay? But let me give you three ways to stop exasperating your children and start encouraging them. Number one, come on, dads and moms, provide expectations. These aren't on the screen. You got to write them down, though. Number one, provide expectations. Here's what I mean. You cannot be frustrated at your child for falling short of an expectation they didn't know existed. Come on. Provide expectations. Number two, provide explanations. Hey, when you tell your kid no or they shouldn't or they can't and they ask why, the response should never be because I said so. And we're all guilty, aren't we? Come on. No, you're not going to speak harsh to them. Your child deserves because they are a gift from God. The Bible says that every child, every person is a gift from God. They deserve to be told the why behind the what. Don't touch the stove when they're little. Why? Because I said so. What does that teach them? That doesn't motivate them to not touch the stove. The opposite happens. So provide explanations. And then number three, you want to stop exasperating your kids and start encouraging them. You need to provide examples. Because your children copy what they see you do, not what they hear you say you should be doing. Come on. Now, now Peter, the apostle Peter, gets in the conversation. And he addresses this family structure as well. And he says, husbands, in the same way... Be considerate as you live with your wives. There's a lot of practical stuff right there. Pick up your laundry. Put down the toilet seat. Do some dishes. I don't know, in my notes, I thought the ladies would really applaud right there. I'm so, just thought maybe we had a little bond. Now, now the men of this culture would say, you mean the woman that was arranged for me to marry? The woman that my dad had to give up two bulls and a goat for? You, you want me to be considerate to her? She's nothing to me. And the apostle Peter says, yes, and, watch, treat them with respect. You see that? As the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that what? Nothing will hinder your prayers. Now again, I feel the blood pressure in the room. Don't you call me weaker. Not, I'm not weaker. Let, let me give you a little more context right there, okay? Because, again, the Bible's not, not offensive in the sense of raising the standard of the family. They're introducing a structure that we don't live by enough. And the apostle Peter, let me give you some synonyms here. He says, treat them with respect and be more tender. Treat them with respect and be more patient treat them with respect and, and be more kind because you know and i know that a a man's emotional system and infrastructure is different than a woman's and that that's not bad that's just truth and peter says that if, if their emotions are different then then don't antagonize that but be considerate and treat them with respect treat them with respect so let me show you and today again we're building on the whole series Okay, so let me show you this because you need to see it. Here, here's the structure of the family. Everything we just talked about. You ready? Watch this. Husbands, love your wives. Be considerate. Be respectful. Stop being so harsh. Wives, submit to your husbands, the godly man of the household. Mutual submission, coming into relationship with one another. This is not your husband saying, get me sweet tea, and you jump on it. No. Trusting that your husband hears from the Lord, and you hear from the Lord, and you come into alignment with the decision in front of you. So husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. And then fathers, stop being so annoying. 
Now, now when you see this, and then you lay this over the top of your current family's reality, how does that make you feel? <laughs> what? This should be us, but this ain't us. Some of you are thinking, we are so far from this. This is very, very idealistic, right? This is the structure of the home according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet so many families don't look anything like this. Husbands cheating on wives, wives doing their own things, children running wild, and fathers just always pressing the buttons to irritate the family. Come on, doesn't that feel more like reality? And what, what happens? Let, let me bring back in last Sunday for a moment. Now, when we lay this over the reality of our families, we recognize there's a gap. There, there's a gap between what is ideal and what is real. Between this, this should be us and this is us. Between that's where we are and this is where we want to be. And there, and there is this gap. And let me tell you about the gap. For the rest of, of my life, if you let me serve as your pastor or your spiritual tour guide, I want to tell you that the gap can be closed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Come on that there is a gap and the enemy loves the gap he loves the tension of the gap because the further that he can push you away from the things of God and the Word of God the more he can fill that gap with spiritual warfare tension conflict bitterness hatred and the list goes on and on and on here's a few Topics that we're going to address over the next few weeks that we find in this gap. Parenting struggles. Substance abuse. Drugs. Alcohol. Pornography. It's all in the gap. Because the enemy wants to push you further and further away from God. In the gap. Money problems. Stress. Broken families. Divorce. And death. Do you see that? Come on, this is a perfect family. But your family's not perfect. And my family's not perfect either. Don't let the Facebook family photo shoot fool you. The enemy is looking for a family to destroy. But I've come to bring somebody good news. Through the blood that was shed at the cross at Calvary. Come on. The Bible says that we can resist the enemy and he will flee. Come on, somebody give me a good amen. Now, here's what I need you to do. Watch this. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to do two things. Number one, when you identify the gap, and many of you just did, th this is ideal and my family's real. Two things. Number one, don't get overwhelmed by the distance of the gap. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed by, by the problems that we're facing, we refuse to try to even fix it. This is why husbands refuse to go to counseling. Because they feel like, hey, what, what's one counseling session going to do? I'll tell you what it's going to do. It's going to put one foot forward. It's one step. Hey, this journey is one step at a time. One conversation at a time. So when you look at the gap, don't get so overwhelmed by the gap that you refuse to even fix it. And number two, don't get so offended by the gap that you try to redefine what is ideal. And this is what we do as families. We look at our current reality compared to what the Bible says. And then we redefine it so that we make ourselves feel like we're less dysfunctional. So that you can tell yourself we're normal. Can I tell you something, church? Normal is not working. Come on, help me out. Normal is not working. And maybe, maybe you're here today and you think, man, like I'm, I'm not even in a relationship with Jesus. And you've recognized there's a gap in your life. Let me tell you again, Jesus is the bridge from one side of the gap to the other side of the gap. And today you can leave with confidence knowing that he's on this journey with you. Let me give you one final thought and then I'll pray. And this thought, this thought is the driving force for the whole series. This, this is what you gotta get passionate about. 
This, this, is what, this, is, this is the phrase that your prayers need to be centered around. This needs to be the DNA of your heart and your family beginning right now. You ready? Watch this. We may not be, I'll get it here in a second. We may not be where we want to be, but we will not settle for less than what we should be. Come on, let me say it one more time. Watch this. And then if you agree with me, somebody give me a good amen. We may not be where we want to be. I see that I'm on this side and God is calling me over there and it's not perfect. I don't live in a perfect world. There's a lot of things against me. So I, I'm not where necessarily I want to be, but I refuse to settle for less than what God is calling me to be. And I know that through Christ, all things are possible. Come on, church. Help me out for a moment. Hey, and I believe, I believe that there is no marriage so broken that God cannot fix it. I believe there is no relationship between son and father and daughter and mother that God cannot reconcile. Come on. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ever ask, think, or imagine. But you've got to have confidence in the Lord that you will not settle. Don't you settle. Don't you settle. Don't you settle. Don't you settle. Every time the enemy tries to stir up controversy in your house, fathers, open up your lips and say, we will not settle. Come on. Wow. Hey, every time your child comes home hungover or burn out on drugs, you look them in the eye and say, I love you unconditionally and we will not settle. This is not the new normal. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Come on. Everybody on your feet if you can, if you're physically able. Come on. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know. Jesus. Come on, right now, if you're with your family, I want you to grab them by the hand or put your arm around them. If you came alone today, that's okay. You're a part of the family of God. Take your hand and just put it on your heart. Come on, right now. Devil, I've come to put you on notice that we're going to take back everything that you have stolen from our families. I pray in the name above all names, which is the name of Jesus, and I know you can't stand that name. I pray in the name of Jesus that there would be such great peace restored in every household, that there would be great unity brought back to every household, that there would be great love and compassion and commitment between husband and wife and daughter and son and mother and father and distant relatives. We're done with all the drama. We're done with all the nonsense. We will not settle. No, God, you're calling us to something greater. You're calling us to something more. We recognize the gap. We call it what it is. And we also know, come on, that we cannot accomplish or overcome the gap by our own power. But because of the power that raised Jesus from the grave, it's still available to us today. And we will be more than conquerors. We will be overcomers. Let us learn as husbands to speak kind to our wives. Let those that are wives be sensitive to the needs of their husbands. Let us learn to parent well. And let us be reminded, somebody hear this, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The real battle is not between mom, dad, father, brother, sister, uncle, aunt. The real war is between us and all of hell. But greater is he on the inside of me than he that's in the world. And so we call it what it is, and we make a declaration that we will not settle. If there's anybody here today, every head bowed, every eye closed, and you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do not leave this room. Do not leave this room. All of this is contingent upon knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. If you've recognized there is a personal gap in your life, let Jesus be the bridge. Come on. Right now, nobody's looking but me and the Lord. If you're here and you say, Pastor JC, I need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus to rescue me from the pain that I feel. Come on, if that's you and you're ready to make a commitment, maybe you were a D last week or a C last week, but today, baby, you're a B, and you're ready to begin a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on, if that's you, just put your hand up for just a moment. Thank you. Wow. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. So many hands. Come on. Come on. Yes. 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 Come on, everybody look at me now. 
Now, can you give Jesus the best round of applause you've got? Come on! Woo! My God! The Bible says to work out your own salvation, so this prayer that I'm about to pray will not get you into heaven. But it's just some thoughts to help guide you in your personal prayer of repentance to the Lord. But I want everybody in this room to say this prayer. Can you do that? Father God, I'm asking you to come into my heart and to come into my mind to deliver me from the lies of the enemy. I am exhausted from fighting the desire to settle. I'm hungry and I'm passionate for something more, more than the world can offer, more than what I can offer myself. I want what you have in store for me. So Jesus, be the center of my life. Be the center of my marriage. Be the center of my household. And I will forever give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen and amen. Come on. Now can you lift both hands to the heavens? Come on. Let's worship Jesus in this room. Come on. Let's you declare. Are perfect in all of your ways to us. Come on, 30 more seconds. Come on, say. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You Come on, lift your hands, lift your voice, come on. Good, good Father, it's who you are, it's who you are, yeah. it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, you're a good, good Father. You are perfect. Come on, one more time. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To us. Come on, last time. You are perfect. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. My prayer is that you really enjoyed today, that the Word of God came alive to you. Come on. And here's my prayer as well, is that in your scheduling the next few weeks, that you have the availability and the desire to carve out time to be with us on this journey as we talk about family matters. I believe that every week we're going to build on the previous week. And here's my heart, and I'm not just trying to give you, I'm not just trying to give you hype, I'm trying to give you hope. That on the other side of this series, that your family is eternally different. That generational curses are broken. Come on. That strongholds are done with. And that God uses your family to do significant things for the kingdom of God. If you got time this afternoon, 4 to 6 p.m., drop in. Say hello to Kimberly and myself. Give somebody a big hug. God bless you. We love you here at South Metro. Have a great weekend in Jesus' name.